<clears throat> well, I think it's fitting we should uh, honor Ong Lip today during our Advent series because the theme of the series that we are in is uh, humility. And I have found Ong Lip and Lucy, actually both of them together, to be a great example of humility um, in the church. And so I'm thankful for the legacy that uh, his service will, will be on that elder board and as a church. And, um, and I'm thankful for Ong Lip's continual service to the church. He is a prayer warrior. And so I recommend getting your prayer request on his list, and he will pray for you. And uh, also, Onglip, uh, I love that Onglip hemorrhages Bible. So you just talk to Onglip, Onglip, Bible will start coming out. And um, I've appreciated that about him, and that's one of the reasons he was an elder, uh, to help guide us according to the Word of God. So our series is, um, uh, we're titled, it's called Our Humble Estate. I've always found humility to be one of the most beautiful and powerful themes of the Christmas story. And so we're trying to bring that to life uh, through our Advent series, right? We saw the humility of Elizabeth when John was preaching on that, that when um, young Mary showed up, all her attention went on to what God was doing in Mary's life. And she even, I mean, it's just astonishing that she said, who am I that you would visit me? I mean, Mary's like a young maid. She's in her teens probably. And here is Elizabeth of higher rank and status. Who am I that you, the mother of my Lord, would visit me? That's a wonderful picture of humility. But then we also saw how Mary um, invited God or acknowledged how God saw her in her humble estate. And so part of what Mary was acknowledging in her song, and the, this is, which is what we're studying and meditating on, was that she was in a lowly condition. Her circumstances were such that she was of, um, of uh, you know, she was oppressed as, as, as being a Jew. Uh, she was young. She was a woman. And so what we're trying to do is realize that we are in a humble estate as human beings. There are things in our life that have humbled us. And so we want to invite God and acknowledge that God sees us. He is our Emmanuel, our God with us. And something that I hope we can do every Advent is to, is to kind of invite God to see us in our, our loss and longing. I hope that we can use the Advent season year after year to reflect on uh, some of the hard things that are going on in our life because, right, think about the song, one of my favorite songs, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, where it, it, you know, the, the, the lyrics, and it's, it, I'm blanking on it, but it says, oh, come and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. And so as, as believers, we can identify with Israel. We can identify with being in exile. We have the joy of our Savior, but yet we long for him to come. And so the presence of sin still infects this world. It infects our flesh and the brokenness of life um, still can get us down. And so we want to take time to acknowledge our humble estate so that we can renew year after year our joy in the coming of, the, of, of, of Jesus into our lives. Um, but there is also a sharp edge to the Christmas story, 
right? Yes, it's a beautiful story of a young virgin uh, married to a poor carpenter, giving the miraculous birth to our Savior in a manger with shepherds and angels and wise men. And we love that story, right? But um, Mary's song, the Magnificat, as it's called, expresses something else. Um, that yes, God has done great things for Mary in her humble estate, but he also is going to show strength against his enemies and the enemies of God's people. And so we saw that, if you, if you, we'll, we'll throw the scripture up there. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And so uh, Susan, one of our members, was commenting to me and Andrew about this, that there's kind of this rebelliousness that Mary is singing about. There's this kind of counterinsurgency that God is about to enact against the uh, so-called mighty of this world. And so there's this fierceness to God that Mary is extolling here. And uh, it actually made me think about one of my favorite animes that I love to watch with my son, Sam, is One Punch Man. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. Uh, it, 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 I love it. Like, it just, this, this, this anime moves me, and you may be wondering why. The whole premise of this anime is that there are these, there are these bad guys that are so powerful, they start to defeat all the heroes, right? None of the heroes can defeat them, but this uh, Saitama comes up to them and in one punch kills them, just destroys them. And it's a simple formula. It's not complicated. And you know it's going to happen. But when it happens, me and Sam were like, yes, wasn't that awesome? And the idea is that, right, he is so strong, he's such the strong hero that he just wipes the enemies. It's not even a fight. It's not even close. And that's what Mary is extolling as part of the Christmas story, that God is going to defeat the enemies. He, he is the strong one. The other mighty ones, that is sar- that's almost sarcastic because it, God can easily defeat them. And so, uh, in other words, Christmas, the Christmas um, story signals not only the coming of our Savior, but the judgment and the defeat of the prideful and the powerful. And Mary is saying, I'm here for that. But what is beautiful and has captured our attention for, for 2,000 years um, ever since then is the surprising way that God shows the pride of humanity for what it is. The surprising way God um, is, is uh, defeating pride in our lives by being humble himself to the point of death on a cross, right? I can't think of a more shameful way of having my pride revealed than by the obvious contrast uh, of genuine humility uh, of someone else right next to me. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever just, especially someone of higher rank who just outshines you in humility? That's the worst way. And maybe the best way to have your pride revealed. I remember um, when I graduated from college, I joined the staff of a missionary organization called Crew. And I was ambitious. I was going to show my new staff team 
my, my, uh, my excellent and better theology than theirs. I was going to uh, dazzle them with my strategic thinking and, and my Bible study skills, right? I was all ambition. But I got a shock when I began to interact with my director, who was um, 20 years my senior, had way more experience than me. And what, what he began to do, the way he interacted with me, began to shock me, but also kind of humble me because he was so humble. He would, he would be impressed with me. He would express admiration for my thinking and what I was doing. He showed absolutely no rivalry with me. He would invite me to help him understand things. He would ask me what I thought about things. And he would rejoice with me in my successes. And I remember thinking that, I remember thinking the kind of leader I wanted to be wasn't the kind of leader I wanted to be anymore. I wanted to be like him. I wanted other people to feel the way I felt being under his leadership because of his humility. In other words, what I'm saying is his humility kind of knocked me off my high horse. And so um, that is what is, is going on here. More, um, uh, that's why I titled this sermon, Our Humiliation, because the idea that God would take on flesh and live a life he did in obscurity and in weakness to the point of death, yes, we're to sing about that, but we're also supposed to be smited by that a little bit. It's supposed to knock us off our horse, our high horse a little bit. So what Mary is extolling is that God's incarnation amongst us is meant to scatter our prideful thoughts. It's meant to knock us off our pretentious thrones. And so that's what I want the Spirit of God to do this morning is to bring us what I like to call the sweet sting of repentance, of pride. We want to repent of pride and be put into a place of humility before our humble king. So I think that's going to involve two things for us today. To be God's humble people, we need to fear God with our thoughts, and we need to honor God with our thrones. So reading verse 51 again, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. We just want us to meditate on that this morning. Um, and that we want to see that um, God is concerned about the heart, right? So notice Mary talks about two spheres of pride, thrones and thoughts, right? And no, that's referring to the visible um, the, the visible positions of power in this world, God is going to, going to overthrow the prideful in that sphere, but also to, down to the individual person and their own thoughts, which is really where pride comes from, down to the, 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 the very workings of the inner life. And so part of what the Advent story is, part of what Christmas is about, is God coming to mess with the, the equilibrium we have set up in our hearts that um, aren't aligned with reality, aren't re aligned with the reality of who God really is and who we really are. Pride is the idea that we act out of a greater sense of importance, talent, or goodness than we actually possess. And so the gospel is a corrective to our prideful hearts. And it's a, it's a corrective in at least two ways. And the whole point of the church 
is that it would be a, is to help the world uh, see it as a corrective in the first way, which is that it is, is a corrective in the sense that um, we see Jesus crucified for our sin, right? Um, the most offensive aspect of the gospel is that you cannot save yourself. God had to die for you, and that means it's not all good in this heart of, our, of ours. There, are serious, uh, there is serious ugliness and brokenness inside of us, and in fact, it's not all good. It's hopelessly bad. It's deserving of judgment in here. Um, and so uh, we need our pride straightened out and it will be straightened out when you can see that the only way that you could be saved was God had to condemn what you deserved on that cross. He had to condemn Jesus in your place. That's meant to humble us. That's meant to um, uh, make us uh, be knocked. That's meant to knock us off our high horse. That's part of the sharp edge of the Christmas story because um, you are either going to be uh, humbled by what you see Jesus do on the cross with your sin, or you are going to be humbled by God condemning you for your sin at judgment. You will be humbled either by seeing what Jesus did for you or when God comes at the end with his kingdom. And so that is good news for us if we receive it. But to the prideful and the mighty who ignore God, it's not good news. But to us as Solano, it is good news because we are a people who believe in who Jesus is from the virgin womb to the empty tomb. We believe in who he is, so this is good news for us. We can receive the humility that God calls us to because we see what God has done for us on that cross. And so because we are his people, we can um, fear God with our thoughts. And I think we do that in two ways. We fear God with our thoughts, um, number one, by examining the motives of our hearts. I think humility means that we are people that are willing to examine the motives of our hearts. There's a passage that I have, has often um, uh, made me pause when I get angry. It says, in your anger do not sin, but ponder on your beds. And so scripture acknowledges that humans have anger, but it's going to say, but you need to stop when you have anger and you need to think about what's going on inside of your heart. If you just act out of your anger, you will sin. Your ang you, in other words, Christians understand that if God had to die for us on the cross, we should not be self-justifying. We should not go from, I think it and feel it, therefore it is right. I think it and feel it, therefore I'm gonna act on it. That is prideful. God calls us to have the humility to say, hmm, what's going on? inside this heart of mine. It might not all be righteous, actually, or it may not all be deserving of punishing that person I'm angry uh, with, or that I want to go do this. Maybe I need to pause. It doesn't mean we condemn our feelings or ignore our feelings or stuff our feelings. But we think about them. We understand there's a complexity of things going on with this complicated inner uh, soul of ours. 
Uh, and I'm astonished when I do that, when I take time to ponder and examine what's going on inside of this heart of mine. How often my feelings are usually, if I dig down deep, they're connected to either I'm feeling hurt or afraid. Feeling hurt or afraid. So I want to take time to, to ponder and examine the motives. And so God's people, we practice humility in our thinking by taking time to pray, to ponder, to discuss, to show curiosity. We are careful not to react. We are quick to receive help and input from others. We are not people who are self-justifying. We keep a wary eye on this heart of ours instead of giving it full vent. That's prideful. So we are humble in our thinking. But notice that I said we keep a wary eye on our hearts. Some of you and some of us are uh, prone to want to keep a wary eye on other people's hearts a little more than your own. And so uh, Jesus is going to say, that's uh, not taking the log out of your own eye. So remember that? That's another good way to think of humility. We take the log out of our own eye. That's, a self-reflect, that's an act of self-reflection. It's an act of first deal with what's going on in yourself. And then yes, then yes, the, I have a speck in my eye, friends. Feel, I, I could use help with that. You know what I mean? So we all have specks we need help with. But first deal with the log in our own eye. The second way that we fear God with our thoughts is by receiving God's loving discipline. Hebrews says this, for they disciplined us for a short time. That's referring to um, our parents. Our parents discipline us as it seemed best to them. And most of us who were disciplined by our parents look back and are grateful for it, even if it was done imperfectly. But, he, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Do you see that? God wants to make us holy, which means he's going to have to work on your hearts. He's going to have to work on us. And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, later, you've got to go through, take some time. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, who have received it. Um, I was um, astonished when I read, um, I don't know if you guys were doing the Advent reading, one of the books, I forget the name of it, um, it's the one that has the compilation of different authors. One of the authors was a Jesuit priest who um, was in jail for being a traitor to the Nazis. And so he was um, part of some of the worst uh, evil in, that the world has seen, and he was in jail, and he eventually was, was hanged. Uh, and he's writing this Advent reflection, I believe, while he was in jail, about to die. And, I, and, and he, he takes a second, and it, while acknowledging the evil, he stops to think about the perspective of what is God doing in the hearts of men, and he actually points the, um, the microscope on, on, on himself and, and, and God's people, and he says that God, that God is intervening in history because of the hardness of people's hearts. Because people have ignored the real pain and evil around them and built up for themselves presumptuous imaginary worlds where everything is okay. 
And so God was shocking the world as, he, as this evil came up. And the point is to say that this evil was because the, God's people had become so um, ignorant and hard-hearted to the evil that was coming up right in front of them that they would allow such an evil to happen. That, he, that this Jesuit priest was willing to say, you know what this war reveals? We have a problem. All of us have a problem. Those were his words, but I admired the humility that even in the face of the worst evil, he was willing to say, how do I need to be awakened to God's righteousness? How have I been hard-hearted? How have I been slow? How have I just accepted the world as it is instead of uh, engaging in righteous behavior? And so God's people, we practice humility by having the perspective of God's discipline in our lives. I was also, to use a a little whiplash analogy here. Remember the children who were up here. I had the children come up here um, so that we could see a picture of humility right in front of us, right? And so remember the children were up here and, and, and that John was, was teaching them and all of us looked on them with great affection. We just, just them sitting there, didn't matter what they were doing, how were they answering the questions, we were just full of joy watching them. Okay, and that's, by the way, that's how the Father sees us. If you happen to see that, the way you felt toward those children, that's how God feels towards us. Now, but notice a few of them were squirrely. Did you catch that? Right? We didn't have a problem with that. That was great. But it did remind me that God says, you need to see yourselves as children before me. That was a picture of the way we are before God, and we get squirrely. We get squirrely towards holiness. We get squirrely towards obedience. We get distracted about the important things in life. And so like a loving father and a loving parent, we love our two and three-year-olds, but we want to train them to maturity. And that often means we have to bring in boundaries and consequences to teach their hearts about what is good and true and right. And God says, that's a picture of what I do with you, but I do it perfectly, out of perfect love. Will you receive that from him? That's humility. Humility is having that perspective that when painful things happen, when painful people are in your life, when painful words are brought to you, that yes, that there's, we have to engage with that, but we, we keep the perspective of what is, but what is God doing in my life? So we can receive the gospel message. We are able to learn. Um, if we receive that message, we can learn to fear God in the very secret place of our thoughts. We can get to the root of our heart motives through prayer and reflection and godly counsel and endurance, and we can receive that God himself is our heavenly father, is at work in all those things, helping to get at what's going on in this heart and make it holy. So we want to fear God with our thoughts, but we also want to honor God with our thrones. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So he's dealing with the very secrets of our hearts, of pride, but he's also going to deal 
with the visible manifestations of human power. Okay? Um, so God's rule will be extended into and over the hearts of men and women everywhere, um, but also every, over every visible ruler, big or small. God will align them to his rule, either by teaching them to be humble by the word of the cross, or literally bringing them to ruin in this world and the next. So God's people, we are humble, not only in our thought life and in our hearts, but in the way we use power. The way we represent God's loving rule in the areas of position, authority, and recognition that God has given us. And that could be anything, right? Our position in our family, our authority at work, the recognition that comes from some of our physical talents or capabilities, right? These are things I'm starting to talk to my son Sam about. He's 13. I'm like, I said, Sam, you are the older brother. And I don't use these terms because I just thought of it as I was prepping for this sermon. But I, it, I'm saying this to him that he has a throne as the older brother to his younger siblings. He has a position of power and a type of authority in their lives. And I want him to use, see that as a sacred responsibility. So all of us have thrones you have positions in the world uh, where God is calling you to steward and have a sacred responsibility. And so he wants you to honor him in that, in those areas. So we honor God with our thrones in two ways as well. Again, these are just my meditations, not exhaustive here. We honor God with our thrones um, first, by accepting that everything anyone has ever been given is from God. That is an important, crucial thought to have throughout your life if you're going to be humble with your thrones. Because, first of all, this is a balm against the flames of shame and envy for the titles and possessions and achievements that we don't have. Okay, and so shame and envy are the, are the enemies of humility as well. They were, we're chasing after human possessions and recognition. So this thought, um, the idea, and John says it, the, uh, the Bap, John the Baptist says it well. There's a scene where, the disciples are getting jealous of the ministry of Jesus that is growing. And John's disciples are getting a little worried. And John says, before he actually says, hey, he's the Messiah, of course that's supposed to happen. He gives this principle. He says, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to them from heaven. Even Jesus. And so this, is, this helps us against the flames of envy and shame. But it also humbles us for what we do have. God wants you to remember there is not a single thing, not a single thing that you've earned, truly earned by your own merit, nothing. I mean, if even the breath that you are taking to even understand my words is from God, how can you claim any credit for anything in your life? Therefore, instead of having your achievements and statuses and titles puff you up, 
God, this thought empowers you to engage your station in life. God has stationed you in that life where he stationed you to be a steward, to serve the weak in that station, to serve the powerless, to comfort the afflicted. It's one of the best things to think about when we struggle and have loss is you, God might use that in your life to comfort others and point them to him. And we use our station to love our neighbor. And so I think, um, you know, a great picture of this is the, uh, the Christmas song. I don't know if it's a hymn. I don't think it's a hymn. The Little Drummer Boy. What kind of song is that, by the way? It's just a Christmas carol. Um, but it's a beautiful picture, I think, of what humility looks like with our thrones, right? You know the story um, that all, all, everyone's coming to visit the king, and they uh, are bringing gifts that are fit for a king, and the little drummer boy sitting there like, I can't bring gifts like that. I got nothing that's worthy of the king. And instead of walking away in shame and despair, he looks at what he does have. And he has his drum. And he looks at that drum and he's, he's thinking, and I'm reading into the story a little bit. He's thinking that I, this is from God. I will play my best for him. And I love that picture of humility. He's not saying, I'm going to play my best with this talent I have to prove that I have a better gift than those other ones, to prove that I'm better than them and that I'm worthy. He just says, I'm going to do it for you. I will play my best for you, Jesus. It's so beautiful. And then Mary nods, which implies he asked for permission, which I I wish the children of today's age would do a little more. Um, He's humble. Um, and of course he plays and, and then and Jesus smiles. He plays his best for him. And what a beautiful picture of what God wants us to do with our thrones is to receive them from him and do our best with them for him. Not to prove ourselves better than the other ones and their talents and their positions and titles. Um, and so we honor God with our thrones by accepting everything that we have has been given from him. And lastly, we honor God with our thrones by trusting his plan for our life. Mary, what she said at the end after saying that God will defeat the mighty, she gives this statement of hope, he will exalt the humble. Now that, what does that word exalt mean? And to answer that, I go to, I go to Peter, 1 Peter 5. He gives four words to define what God does when he exalts us. And it says that he restores, he strengthens, he establishes, and he confirms. And so I don't know what areas of life you are feeling discouragement and disappointment in. I don't know what areas of life have become a disaster for you. It will happen. It has happened to many of us. And it is happening to some of us. And I hope you can hear that what God is saying is he himself will restore you. Where do you need to be restored? He will strengthen you. What are you going through that is difficult? He will strengthen you. He will establish you. Where are you feeling anxious? 
He will confirm you. Where are you having doubts? God says he will do these things. And so the question is, can we trust him to do that? Can we trust him to exalt us? In his time, maybe we've been cast down by the circumstances of life, by our own mistakes and failures, or maybe the, 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 the sin of others. Can we trust God's timing and plan to exalt us? Because if we don't do that, we will inevitably use our thrones to protect ourselves from pain. Um, we will hurt, we will attack or oppress others by using our superior talents, our physical strength, our verbal sharpness, our positions of authority. We will control people, we will protect ourselves, we will use our titles, talents, and status symbols as a kind of savior to protect ourselves. And God says, if you do that, if you make yourself mighty for your own sake, that is inherently evil and oppressive, and he will cast you down. And so Solano, as God's people, let us repent out of love for God, out of faith in seeing what he has done for us and who he is. If you have been cast down, will you allow the Lord to build you back up? Not, in the, in the, um, not as a monster of pride, but a person of childlike faith. What talents and titles and thrones has God given you? That's not bad, but how will you honor God with them? By trusting him as the source of what you have and the author of what you will achieve. I've been recently listening to a pop artist with my daughter named Lizzo. Uh, just a couple songs. Some of them are explicit. A lot of them are. But there's a few that we like. And, um, and so I, uh, I found a line in one of her songs that I think is prophetic. She did not mean it this way. I'm positive. But she said, I don't need a crown to know I'm a queen. So I don't think Lizzo is singing about a biblical vision of humility. Don't think that's what she's doing. But, she, but I think this line is prophetic for this sermon and what I'm trying to say here today, what I think God is saying here. Let me say it this way. God's people are those who know they don't need a crown to know their place in the kingdom. We are a people who do not need to chase the crown of recognition and praise for man. We do not need the crown of a title to know God will use our talents for his purpose, for his glory, in his timing. More than that, more than not needing a crown, we are people who cast our crowns at the manger, at the feet of Jesus before a baby as an act of worship, knowing that this baby holds our life in his hands, knowing that this baby was born to us to be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God. He knew no rank or riches. He took on no spouse, had no family, who did not entrust himself to the hearts of men, but entrusted himself to his heavenly father. 
And because he, he was obedient to the heavenly father to love a world that hated him, he bore on his head not a crown of power, but a crown of thorns. And he was born to bear the shame of our sin on the cross so that he would call a people to himself. He was born to bear a crown of thorns, to call us to make for himself a people for himself, who are not prideful, chasing after the crowns and thrones of the world, but who are lowly, who are humble, and that we are content with the joy of our salvation. We are content when knowing that Jesus is the one who looks at us and smiles, that we are doing and living our life for him. And so we in turn would become a lowly people that point this world to their humble king. And so to help us do that today, um, underneath your chairs, there is a little paper crown, appropriately flimsy. There is a little paper crown. I want you to get those out because I want to try to connect this message uh, to our hearts today by doing a participation element. Um, what I want you to do with that crown, what we want you to do is we're going to want you to write down, there's a pen in front of you, on the inside, we're going to want you to write down areas of your life that can be sources of pride. What titles or talents or possessions do you have that tempt you to crave recognition and praise from others? I want to be seen as a good leader. I want to be seen as a good Bible teacher. I'm going to write that on my crown. They could be sources of pride. What do you have that can be sources of pride that make you want to crave recognition of others? What symbols of status or achievement or authority do you have or not have that can be sources of pride or maybe shame? What areas of life give you a sense of superiority or inferiority to others? I don't want you to take some time to think about that because what we're going to want you to do is pray about it and write down your crown. And then uh, uh, Violet, our host, will guide this time. But you're going to um, uh, take your crown and you're going to cast it before the manger as an act of repentance and worship. To say, like the little drummer boy, you've given this to me, or maybe I'm chasing this, but I trust you with it. I surrender it to you. I repent of pride. And I, I honor you as the, as, as the true king who bore the, um, uh, uh, the crown of thorns for me. And then you will receive communion. So you'll come up, you'll cast your crown, and then you'll receive communion We'll also have people who will be waiting in the wings to pray with you for anything you wrote down or anything at all. We will continue to have that element of prayer um, uh, for us. And so let me pray, and Violet will transition us to communion. Lord, we want to stand before you 
um, ready to receive this message by faith, Lord, that you love us like, like children, Lord, as I remember fondly the children being up here, I had a huge smile on my face, loving every minute of it. Um, Lord, so do you look at us. But Lord, you also want to train us to be childlike. Lord, to be humble before you, the, our, our true Father, as you shape us and mold us into your people. Lord, so that we would not display a distorted image of you. I can't think of anything more disgusting than people who claim your name and yet are full of pride. That Lord, give us the sweet sting of repentance, the beautiful humility, Lord, that you look upon with favor, and yet, Lord, you oppose the proud. Lord, we don't want to be people you have to oppose and throw down. Lord, that we want to be people who wait on you to exalt us. Lord, with faith and trust and childlike humility, help us to be that people, Lord. I pray you would be with everyone here today as they think about the things to write on that flimsy crown so they can cast it to you. Let that act be as it is symbolic, but be meaningful as an act of worship in our, in our very hearts, Lord. And I, so I pray for the rest of our service in Jesus' name.